Welcome to Leadership Matters, a podcast hosted by me, Steve Parker. This is a series that brings a fresh perspective to leadership, motivation, and how to succeed by talking to a diverse range of CEOs, business managers, and world-class talent. We also offer some personal tips to help you in your career. Each episode aims to provide a snapshot into the life and philosophy of some of Taiwan and the world's most successful leaders, and to find out more about why leadership matters. Very lucky to have Tiffany Joe in the studio today. She's a co-founder and CEO of Care Her. It's a platform that empowers leadership for women through community connections, conscious content, and curated experiences. We'll drill down into that a little bit later on to find out more about what that means. She's got over 10 years of experience in the digital media production, content creation and campaigns, branding, four years of DEI consulting at Fortune 500 companies in Japan, Singapore. She's lived in Australia as well. She's lived in California. She's, uh, she's been everywhere. Tiffany spearheaded the APAC expansion of Care Her and the Dream Collective, and we'll talk a little bit about that as well later on. These are both female-targeted companies with the goal of empowering leadership in women. Her multicultural background gives her a fascinating perspective, and we're really looking forward to drilling into what this means for her and how this has kind of been brought to bear on how she's developed, particularly Care Her this organization. Tiffany, it's fantastic to see you here. Thank you, Stephen, and thank you for such a um, succinct introduction of my <laughs> very short career lifespan. Well, uh, it was succinct and you, you helped me to write it, so I really appreciate that. <laughs> thank you. I wanted to start by asking you something. How you build a specific community? How do you go about doing something like that, but also at the same time without excluding the rest of the world? Yeah, I think, Stephen, you asked a really good question because in order to change the world, it's not possible to exclude that 49% of population, which is male, right? And so a quick answer is we don't exclude them. We actually invite them to be allies. Um, let it be our corporate partners. A lot of the decision makers like CEOs are actually male. Um, my in terms of my partners, we have two partners that are actually male as well. So for me, we actually have a chapter called Care Him. Um, it's actually welcoming all the male allies that are willing to kind of support us, whether it's the knowledge, the resource, the insights, or just like personally supporting us to empower more women and put them into leadership roles. So my short answer is we don't exclude them. We invite them to help us build a community that is as strong as what it is right now. And how do you feel like your, your experience doing DEI consulting? Mm -hmm. Has that brought you to where you are today to want to create mm -hmm. Care Her? I think, um, so the great late Steve Jobs has mentioned that you look back and you connect the dots, right? I've never understand that until, and I wanted to thank you that you gave me an opportunity to look back at my past milestones that shaped me who I am today. Um, I'm a forestry major, which back in the days I focus on biodiversity and then when I went to law school, I also was really fascinated by the idea of diversity. I'm also always interested in connecting people, either been connecting opportunities, resources, or just matching people that I think they might um, have a great chemistry and fit. So all of this kind of shaped what I do. And also by learning, by doing consultancy work for the past three years um, with Fortune 500 companies, that kind of shaped um, my understanding of what is the best business model for CareHer. Um, we did pivot it. Um, it's care has been a decade, but I think because of these past incidents, it helped me pivot it, a business model that shapes 
fits us the most and fits my personality and my passion and value the most, which coming back to your question, it's not just DEI consulting, but it's also the community that I really, really care about. And it's what makes us different. And it's the core of our business. People think, you know, I made the wrong decision. I took the wrong job at the wrong time or something like that. How would you respond to someone who says something like that? Oh, I've definitely done a lot of stupid things in the past. But I think what's important is the what's the learning you learn from that. Um, And I think human is so complex. You have to experience different stages, incidents, or moments in order to understand who you are and to further shape your value. And I think it's such an important thing these days that's not educated or communicated in our system so people need to learn that by through different jobs or different experiences and I think I was lucky enough that I was always very conscious about it so when I look back even though it's probably not the best decision but I've always been very present of what I was doing and I was I always kind of go with the flow um, instead of forcing things Um, so that's why um that type of passion kind of led me to where I am right now. So my answer would be like, don't think of anything as just a mistake. It's just a setback or it's just something for you to learn from this incident and to help you shape a better future. At the very least, learning is about learning what you don't want. Yeah, exactly. I completely agree with that theory. So it's about kind of eliminating what you don't want in life and slowly figure out what you want in life. Right. Coming back to this kind of mindfulness thing, how- Tell me about the good aspects of mindfulness. Where do you think it adds value to someone and their career or Mm -hmm. or whatever it is they want to achieve in life? I think mindfulness is such a large word. Uh, For me, it's more about just being aware and conscious of your every step and how you feel about it. Um, Very little time people look inside themselves and reflect to feel that is this something that they're really passionate about? Is this something of their life purpose? So when it comes to mindfulness, it's Take out the time to be conscious about what you're doing right now. Does it make you happy? Is it something that fuels you? Um, If you're doing something that you're passionate about, you will be super energetic. Like for me, entrepreneurship has always been fulfilling. It's stressful, but it's something that I really think it's my purpose and my calling. So I never really had the day that felt that I wanted to give up. It's always for me just, okay, I learned something. It's, It's not the best experience sometimes, but I've always felt like I can keep going because I'm conscious of what I'm experiencing at the moment. And I will look at the experience and see, okay, what can I do better next time? So I think it's that mindset of knowing what you're going through at that moment and to really be present. I think for mindfulness, a lot of people think about the future or they regret about the past, but you're losing time on that precise moment. So if you can actually spend, tell yourself to be conscious about just being there every moment and making the best of every moment, I think that's the first step to a mindfulness life. So I I think, I mean, I I agree with you. I think this idea of being present, Mm -hmm. right? And then reflecting, right? How do you kind of check yourself to stop yourself from wasting people's time? Mm, I think there are a couple elements that's important when it comes to, like you said, not wasting people's time. And First, I think it's psychological safety that you want to build among you and the team so they feel safe to speak up, they feel safe to question you, they feel safe to really be themselves. And the second element is to really build mutual respect. If you respect your team's time, um, let it be there more junior than you, you would think from their 
perspective, you will have more empathy on what they're going through, and you'll be able to construct either the meeting or the structure of your organization in the manner that it's more respectful for everyone, it's more inclusive for everyone's different lifestyle, or uh, my team is really young, so there's not really um, working moms yet, but I think that's one element that leaders need to be conscious about, that people right now um, value their own time and energy differently from before. Um, And if you wanted to attract the best talent or you wanted to have good retention rate or good engagement, it's important to be mindful to show empathy. And empathy can be shown by building trust and also mutual respect. How do you think that your your cross-cultural experience mm-hmm. has affected uh, your outlook? I think it's always also my personality. I've always been a rebel. Um, so I did go to school in Taiwan until college, and I went to the States. But I've always been open to big ideas, and also, I've always wanted to, I always look at things in a more strategic way. Uh, growing up, I enjoy playing Monopoly and card games. For me, it's doing some, playing something with a strategic way and to win in the end has always been something that's very fulfilling for me. Um, and being able to move around cities um, in different regions and learning the culture for me is very fulfilling in a way because it's so different. Um, I like to see um innovation stuff and to me i like to understand how people thinks from and that builds my ability to understand what moves people so tiffany i wanted to kind of circle back in and talk a little bit about this thing you're the ceo and you're the founder you've talked about all these kind of great ideas one of the things that people often talk about is this the kind of the founder principle right where it's really hard for the founder to let go Mm. how hard or, or easy was it for you to allow this space mm-hmm. for other people to grow and contribute? I think this is the part I want to bring in um, state uh, data of gender. Um, so as a female founder, I actually never felt that I need to be the smartest person in the room. In fact, I know I'm always conscious that I am not the smartest person. So I think one of my... Um, advantage or even something that I'm really good at is always able to find someone who can help me at my weaker parts. And that's why I have um, four other partners um, in different, uh, two in Singapore, because we're hoping to expand in the entire Asia Pacific. I have partners who are great at operations and who has exited company before. So these are valuable insights and resources that can help me. Um, not just that, even for my team. Um, I tend to hire someone is quite different from me. And that's the beauty of diversity, right? You cannot have all the same type of minds in a team. And so for me, it's really not that difficult to uh, be able to let people in. But I think what I've learned the past five years is to actually be confident and to stand by what I think, some of my instincts and ideas. Um, Because looking back, some of my ideas were right. And so that's what kind of shaped me now that I know that for the big picture and the directions, I need to trust myself more. But I'm open to all the details and operations and how we get there. So I have a roadmap and I know that now I trust my own vision a lot more. But how to get there, I am open to help. I'm open to different support. I'm open to having more partners to get there together. I have a theory that everything that is wrong with business 
comes back to this concept, which is not exclusively Chinese, of face. Yeah, like right? nobody wants to lose face, right? It's not about gender, too. Any, I think for a lot of women, they don't want to admit that they failed. Um, and I think I never had... Um, a lot of people have imposter syndrome, which they needed to perf be perfect. And I guess because I'm a rebel, so I've never had that issue. Um, admitting that I failed or I needed help wasn't a big problem. And I think it ended up being one of the strongest strengths that I have. Um, so I think that's my advice for a lot of entrepreneurs as well. Um, it's okay to ask for help. And it's okay to admit that you needed something to help you um, proceed to the next level. How, how have you built this environment at your company that is so supportive? Mm -hmm. Is it just, I mean, is it just gender? Are, are men that bad? Are we? No, <laughs> no. It's not gender. I think um, you mentioned a great point that how talents are evaluated should change during time, right? Back in the days, like you said, um, corporates or leaders value hierarchy. They value seniority. They, they value numbers, data, um, performance, right? But I think nowadays what's important for leaders now is how you unite a team. How you're able, it's like football or any sports that you watch. It may be soccer for you. Um, it's really about not just celebrating the key player, but be able to look at the team to see that who are the other supportive roles and also give them credit and also be able to recognize that um, you need to let everyone feel that they have, they're equally valued even though they're not doing something that the star player is doing. And I think that's what future leadership should be. Um, back in the days, leadership are celebrated in a more dominant way, right? Leaders who speak loudly, who are um, male figures, right? And now you have um, female leaders like the um, prime minister of New Zealand, right? Or you have other females that are um, much more vulnerable. They're willing to admit failure or their weakness or their fear, but they are really good at uniting a team, a country, a nation, or a group of people. And I think that's the key leadership element moving forward for the next couple years. What about where you have someone who's contributing zero? How, how do you how do you manage that out? Mm -hmm. And you know the other part of this question is how do you deal with that and not demotivate other mm -hmm. people around them? Yes, I think that's a really good question, especially for small organizations. Any change would affect the team's morale. Um, but I think I my philosophy for a smaller team right now, we're like around ten. It's to and for startups, is to hire fast and fire fast. Because anyone would affect the whole culture and team because it's so small. Um, but for me, it's not about performing or not. It's Maybe it's just the dynamic doesn't work. I've definitely had um, incidents that who um, there's talent that's super outspoken, um, looks like a really strong-willed person, but she just doesn't fit with the team. Because I'm a team player and I our culture is to have everyone, to really celebrate everyone's role and to giving all the supportive roles um, um, value. So if someone doesn't respect that or doesn't fit in the culture, it's not entirely her problem or it's not a right or wrong answer, but it's just overall it doesn't fit because we have a very strong culture. So I think for me, it's just to look at it different ways and try to give her a role that fits her the most. But if not, when the time comes, you have to make a decision to um, change it because it will affect the remaining team. 
And I think that's for a lot of organizations quite important to recognize that the smaller your organization is, the more fragile your culture might be. And culture is so important for employer branding right now and for a team to perform well. So you really need to be very conscious and willing to communicate with the team and to be able to um, maximize everyone to put them on the right roles. But when it the when the dynamics not working, you need it to take um, actions to fix the team as well. You know, and I also think that in in part, you know, good people are always looking for something more. Right. Right. Good so, talent for sure. Right? Of yes. course. Right. Mm-hmm. So if you're a small organization, you have to accept the fact that you're you're not going to be able to be everything to yes. everyone. Right. Yes. Someone gets to a certain level. Mm-hmm. They move maybe on. They, right. Absolutely. And I think. It did bother me in the very beginning because I'm more sentimental and we're like, no, we're a team. But I think if you look at it in a way that it's like an alumni network. So people who left CareHer, who graduated CareHer, they're still part of the community. They're still smart women who cares about our value, which is to connect and grow. And for me, and it's also the future of work, right? So people nowadays, especially for Gen Z talents, even then they're not working full-time, they can be taking on projects that's still relevant to the organization. So for example, one of our staff, um, she is going to Germany for a master's degree. Um, but because of technology and because of how our workplace is like, now she can remote work. She can still take up projects to produce good content with us while she pursue her own next stage, right? So... Um, as a, as a founder or um, a leader, a lot of times you are inspiring great talent, shaping them, helping them to find their next big thing. And you have to be okay with that. But I think because work has changed so much, these people are really just alumni of your organization. And I think if you keep a good relationship and if you have something that you can still work together, it's mutually beneficial. They can still bring in great opportunities, clients, or where they're working at, they can still come back and um, do projects and cross over with you. So keep an open mind. And I think it's just understand that people will move on to good things. And it's actually if the better they're doing, it reflects on you. It means that your organization set them up right so they can have a better next step as well. It's, it's such a nice way to think about ex-employees. That's a key characteristic I've noticed also of great leaders is this, is this level of optimism. Mm-hmm. You know, I think you have to wake up in the morning and kind of feel like whatever was happening yesterday, it's going to be okay today. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's a key mindset for um, entrepreneurs or small organization leaders that you won't be ready for everything. So there are times that I will look at an opportunity and I will – we're probably just 60% ready, but I'll tell the team that I think we should do this and then we can learn that 40% while we're doing it, in the middle of doing it. Because you would think of a product and then you never test a market and then you launch it. You never know what the user's responses are. But for us, it's quite important to have that mindset that when we're 60% ready, say yes to these opportunities and we will make it work while we do it. I want to talk a little bit about remote working. Mm-hmm. You brought it up just now. And uh, how has managing people for you mm-hmm. changed with this idea of remote working? I have to admit that I've also been learning this because I'm such a face-to-face person. Um, but my team taught me so much about it. I think and going back to remote work, pandemic has accelerated this change um, systematically and personally. So systematically, I think... Uh, retention has gone to engagement instead. So I wouldn't say people will measure 
um, how your organization is by retention. It's more about engagement now because you have this flexibility of remote work, hybrid work. Um, people are given the tools, like you said, there's technology and internet to work with their own schedules. Um, they're saving time on commute and people are figuring out what's their optimized work style. So as a leader, it's important to understand that, yes, it's not easy to transit to remote work, but it's something that would ultimately help with productivity and team morale. Um, so systematically, it's important to keep on communicating and really set up what works for the team. So for example, for my team, we are kind of the hybrid work. We have um, employees who come into the office every day. We have employees who are in Germany and Tokyo in Singapore. Um, and then we have people who are completely by project. So it's important to align everyone. That is a way to show respect as well. Um, to just keep ahead of what everybody is doing. So we do weekly alignment meetings. It's like a 15-minute meeting, not something really fast. Everyone kind of report on what's going on with their status this month, uh, this week. We also have monthly meetings that we try to have everyone together. Um, that face-to-face -face time is actually quite important still. Um, so these are these uh, systematically what we have been trying to do to make sure that everyone is aligned and the meetings are not long and mundane, um, and, but effective to respect everybody's time. And I think it goes back to another thing is personally how remote work has changed the future of workplace, especially for Generation Z, um, because there's so much you needed that trust between trusting your employees not coming into the office, but they're still working, right? Uh, trusting your employees that because you save them commute time, you save them from all these like clock in, clock out time and everything, they would actually reciprocate by um, optimizing how they work. Um, so it's really about uh, that purpose and autonomy that you're giving them. It also gives them um, ownership and accountability. So I think remote work now has changed systematically and personally, and that's something leaders should be mindful of to make sure that it's taken care of through communication, through behavior. And with that, I think it would solidify the productivity of your team as well and the culture. So do you care about, do you care about outcome or you care about the amount of time someone spends? I care about outcome, but definitely I think remote work the thing is the communication cost is so high right now because back in the days when you're in an office, you can just probably discuss when you just turn your head and talk to the person next to you, right? And now you have to schedule meetings. So it is, there are, um, there are other, not obstacles, but there are other bumps that we need to overcome in order to make remote work smooth. So I do care, but short answer is I care about the outcome for sure. But I think there are also a lot of other um, technical issues that if the team were going to work, everybody has to put in the time to communicate better. So it saves time. And also to be fair of the people that are coming into the office. So that's what something I'm always quite mindful about is I am respectful of people who choose to come into the office. And I want them to feel fair that because they come into office, they are not valued less or they're not giving less flexibility than the ones who are not. Um, and so I try to make sure that um, the ones who are remote working are updating their status, are communicating frequently to the ones who are coming to the office 
So they don't feel like, why are people not working in the office? And I'm in the office all the time. So for me, it's about the fairness of people who choose not to remote work. And for people who are remote working to feel that they're included in a lot of the office rituals, rituals as well, because we have team lunch, we have a lot of these events that we do face to face, we have our office dog, so we can play with the dog all the time. Um, it's a two way street, right? How to make the remote people feel included, how to make the people in the office feel that they are respected, and they are still given the flexibility if they wanted to have it. That's fantastic. I've heard a lot of really good stuff today, and we're going to have to finish up fairly soon. It's always it's always far too short, I feel, these segments. But I, I've heard you talk about this when you're building an organisation to invite and don't exclude. Mm-hmm. If you want to build true kind of diversity, you've got to invite and mm-hmm. include people in. Mm-hmm. You've got to almost, in a sense, I'm hearing you saying, you've got to invite the enemy in as well, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, bring all of the kind of the stakeholders, right. including those people that may in fact be the ones who don't agree with you. Yes. Right? I... I'm hearing you talk about just really trying to establish a connection with people, mm-hmm. right? Build these, I mean, in the old days we call it networking, mm-hmm. but it's but it's less it's less focused on business than that. It's connecting with people and ideas, mm-hmm. learning from your past. I think this is a really cool idea, you know? Mm-hmm. Think about the kind of the string that connects you to everything that you've done in the past. We are in some ways educated not to make mistakes, mm-hmm. but you're saying embrace those. I celebrate mistakes. <laughs> well, I mean, hopefully not a lot of big mistakes, but I think it's it's not a negative thing. And we, there are times I actually encourage my team, we don't call it a mistake. We call it a learning. And just by phrasing it, it changes your mindset as well. Um, when you call it a mistake, people are fearful. They won't admit it. They're scared of telling you that they did something wrong. But as a leader or as a manager, I think it's important to just create a culture that uh, encourages people to own up to that learning. Nice. I like that. Nobody's ever gone through life without making yeah, a single learning opportunity. Especially <laughs> no one's perfect. And I think that also is of important value today is for leaders that it's not about being perfect. It's about being authentic. And if you're being authentic, there's no way you never made any mistake. Right. I, I feel this from you, and it's something you said as well, is this idea of creating a safe space. Mm-hmm. You know, we want to create a safe an environment where mm-hmm. people are, can speak up about those kind of uh, learning opportunities, as you phrased it. Um, and this giving mutual respect, you know, allowing that someone may have less experience or more experience or whatever it is, but uh, they have more or less knowledge, but we need to respect the person. Right. And I hear that very strongly from you. And I, I like this idea of kind of this reverse mentoring. Mm-hmm. I've heard this from a few leaders where they talk about, you know, mentor up and down and sideways. Right. Learn from everybody around you. Peer learning too. Peer learning yeah. as well, right? And making people go out, not making people, but encouraging people to go out and learn stuff, learn mm-hmm. something new and share with the team. And it encourages and motivates and empowers the people in your organisation. Mm-hmm. Some really, really interesting things today. Thank you so much for your time, Tiffany. Thank you, Stephen, for having me. You can listen to this podcast live on the fourth Monday of every month on ICRT and after that on the ICRT website, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for Leadership Matters by Steve Parker. You can also check out my social media. I'm on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram. We'll see you next time.